Hi, everyone. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Well-Fed Business Podcast with myself, Connor Benham, and the evil, bald genius. Now, before we get really stuck in, by the time you're listening to this, unless we release it as an emergency podcast, Elite is almost full. So if you're listening to this after the 17th of April, too late, you missed out, buddy. But if we release it as an emergency podcast and you're listening to this before the 17th of April, there's or probably on the 17th. or on the 17th, thank you, John, there's probably one place left. And as long as you get your application in by close of business or midnight, we'll say midnight of the 17th of April, you can have a chance of joining us in Elite because we've done a bloody good job of filling it up. And uh, that's exactly what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about how we, are we going to say the numbers, John? Are we going to be internet marketers? I think we should, not because we want to brag, but because we want to make a point. Okay. So today we're going to be talking about how we made uh, 82K in a little under three weeks, I do believe, without any extravagant paid advertising. And we've got very little... We didn't have any paid advertising at all. Without any paid advertising. and uh, Or social media, to be fair. Not not traditionally, posting instead. No, not traditional social media. Um, essentially defying all the norms that are going around at the moment. Ooh, ooh, you gotta, you got to post on social media all the time. We avoid it like the plague. Mm. Well, okay, let, let, me, let me just give them the stats to... So they can get some perspective. I've got them in front of me. I've got a spreadsheet. I'm autistic. Of course I've got a spreadsheet. <laughs> we've made, a, in this year, from the beginning, we've made 104K in sales. This is direct sales, by This isn't revenue. This is direct sales from the process we're about to talk about. 104K in sales. And then in the last three weeks, we've done 82. The reason for the disproportionate skew there is we took our foot off the accelerator deliberately to get some things set up and three weeks ago we put the accelerator down again within three weeks we had 82k in sales that's sterling so 104 total 82 in three weeks average sale is thirteen thousand pounds average per call is nine and a half grand and that's a closing rate of 72.73 percent in an industry where the average is a Wow, was it 30 plus or minus 5, you told me? Uh, it's usually 25% plus or minus 5%. Oh, okay. Uh, but most sales houses would snap your hand off at a consistent 20% KPI. So basically, if we take the 25%, because it makes the maths easier, easier, I'm almost three times a, a, a an acceptable, more than an acceptable closing rate. Mm-hmm. And we'll come to why that is. In a moment. We will, because we've got a singing and dancing fancy new sales system, haven't we? We have. It doesn't just sing and dance. It's singing and it's dancing. It tucks you into bed at night and it wakes you up with a blowjob and a cup of tea. That is the life, isn't it? It is. That is the life. It is. And it's a bloody good sales system and does that and it fucks you to sleep, which John carelessly left out there. Well, I did, but that's because my testosterone is low, isn't it? I can't be bothered at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's only a blowjob in the morning. Then, you, then you're done for the day. I'm, surprised you I'm done do for the, the week, mate. <laughs> God. Fingers crossed that my blood's come back so I can go on the TRT again. 
Fingers crossed. We we all love a roided up John. Yeah. You did tell me a story about fingers earlier on this morning, didn't you? But we won't go And into swiftly that. moving on. And swiftly moving on. <laughs> that is definitely not one for public consumption. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> so we want to... <laughs> it is. <laughs> we'll save that one for Elite. I don't mind yeah, telling yeah. stories like that for Elite. Even Core <laughs> Control, I'd feel a little bit sharing it in there. But Elites can find out <laughs> that story. So if you want to figure out the story uh, of fingers elite. and hand sandwiches, come to Elite. <laughs> anyway, so today we want to we want to talk a little bit about the, as John said, the sudden uplift in sales. Because from the outside looking in, if we was just to present you that d- data, you'd probably think we were mental. Like, what the fuck have these boys been doing? Um, what were they doing so poorly at the start of the year, and what they're doing so good at the beginning of the year? But the truth is a lot simpler, to be honest. Uh, Occam's razor. We purposely took our foot off the gas because we were building something. We was building another program, another product, and we were figuring out our sales systems, our delivery systems, and all of that boring stuff. And then about three, four weeks ago, we were like, right, let's put pedal to the metal. And John was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's get on the sales train. Little did I know, John ran away with the sales process we spoke about and turned it upside down, inside out, tore it to shreds, put it back together again, burnt it because he didn't like it, went and got some more new raw materials, and has built an absolute masterpiece of a sales system which has allowed us to do those numbers with such a high close rate. Is that right, John? It is. Let me explain. I mean, why why we suddenly decided to put our foot down is, is not the point. There's some personal stuff going on in my life that meant I have to uh, work less and more effectively, which is actually a good thing because it meant we had to focus. But the first thing we did, we set our intention. That's really important. Um, but what we did figure was we set the intention, we know what we wanted to do, so then we f- decided to focus. Now, I came to the realisation, and this is really actually very important for everyone, I came to the realisation I didn't need to learn any more marketing. Now don't, now, don't get me wrong, I'm not claiming I know everything because clearly I don't. There's a lot of areas in marketing I know very little about, like Google AdWords, Facebook advertising. I, I don't, I mean, I, in principle, I get it, but I don't know the details. But the thing is, I don't need to either. I know enough. I know more than enough to do what I want to do and to teach others to do what they want to do. I mean, in terms of people in the world and their knowledge of marketing, I'm probably in the top one hundredth of one percent because of my my experience in it i don't need to know any more marketing what i need to do is keep doing more marketing but do it focused that was setting the intention what are we going to do we want to fill a leak we want to get more people to call control everything else can go fuck itself with a cactus and a dried fucking pumpkin so what i did decide i needed to do was get better at selling it's all well and good putting leads into the business but if my closing rate is only 20 percent which is kind of industry average, 25%, which is industry average, 20%, which is acceptable. That's not good enough for me. I'm not an average kind of guy. So what I did is I studied selling. Now, I don't know how many of you people listening to this are autistic or how many of you people, if you understand what it's like when you are autistic, when you have a special interest. To put some context around this, when I applied to, uh, for a place in my degree course in 1986, the guy turned me away. He said, I don't, 
I hadn't got any A levels or anything. I just got O levels and a B tech level three from BT. You know, I was just a fucking technician. And on paper, I wasn't particularly well qualified. And, he, and the guy says, you won't be able to keep up with the maths. We want A-level students only. So in a fit of petulance, I slammed the phone down on him because I got the rejection letter. So I find him up. And then I slammed the phone down when he said that. And then I rethought my position. I actually wrote him a letter of apology. And he called me in for an interview. And he said, look, I'm going to offer you a place. Not because I think you're competent necessarily, but because you had the balls to, to apologise to me. And that alone has given me you know, I'd take a chance on you. Four years later, I graduate with a first at the top of my class. I, I got the most marks of anyone on the entire course. I more than vindicated his choice. But that's because I studied. Okay. Well, I've done the same kind of intensive study of selling. And I, as Connor said, I, I put together a system. I tested it. It worked. Didn't like it. Too exhausting. So I tore it down again, burned it up and created another one. And that works like a dream. Put context on that, okay? Hitherto, I would wake up in the mornings with a sales call in that day and I'd be dreading it. I just thought, and I'd be exhausted at the end of it. So, you know, yes or no. I'd, whether I sold something or not, I'd be exhausted. Yesterday, I did one and I made a sale, of course, 18K, and I came off it and I want to do another one now. <laughs> yeah? Because it, it's the way it works is I actually close the sale up front. So yep. in the first 10 minutes, I know whether it's going to be a no or not. Which is incredible. So I'm saying with a very high powerful. degree of confidence. What it means is I never get told at the end, no, that's too expensive, can't afford it, I'm going to think about it. Those three things are not possible. And I don't think there's a single person here listening to this podcast that doesn't have some form of sales meeting within their process, whether they're submitting things for tender, there's still those meetings before the contracts are actually signed when you get that moment where they, they're they about to sign the contract, pen is about to meet the paper, and they go, anything we can do about that price? There'll be yeah, people still, that it, are that in. That wouldn't happen to me. It just no, it couldn't it happen to me. And there's people that, that are listening to this that probably run very similar business to us that definitely run sales meetings. And they're probably learning off the same people that we once upon a time learned from before we thought, no, fuck this. This is all shit. Burn. Do it better. burn it, burn it, burn it. It's exhausting. It's complex. It's too scripted. So we burnt it. But there's one thing that you skipped over at the beginning there that I do, I do want to cover quickly. We both had circumstances either thrusted upon us or decided that we were going to enter into that really put some constraints on us and the yeah, business. Definitely. And this is really important. And John skimmed over it rightfully because the sales is the magic here. But if we're going to give you a complete story as, as to how and why this has happened, we need to start there. Shit happened is the short version. Shit happened. And at the time shit happened, we had a, visit, a vision of a products business. Uh, where we had a couple of higher end things, but then lots of smaller products below it. Uh, a, a tall pyramid is the way to describe it. We'd have multi-layers and lots, lots of products all knocking around. Circumstances obviously conspired against us and we were like, we can't run that sort of business anymore. It's too complex, it's too time intensive and it will be a nightmare to manage. So we, so we said, what do we do? And we was like, well, we need to sell fewer things. Check the For grammar, it's perfect. For far more money. 
So we asked ourselves, what does that look like? We embraced the constraints. We were like, well, if John can only work this many hours and uh, Connor can only work in at these specific times per day, how do we get maximum money while still delivering a world-class client experience within these constraints? And rather than trying to find ways around them, we just embraced them and said, right, these are the boundaries that we have to operate within. We came up with world-class solutions and then we was like, right, that's all we're selling. And once you know you're only selling really two things, the sales game becomes a lot, lot fucking easier because you've not got 10 different products flying through your mind. You haven't got 10 different solutions flying through your mind at any given time. And there's a lesson in there because if you feel like you can do anything at any given time, you'll likely do nothing. If you've got five different ways you're thinking of selling, well, I could sell via email, I could sell via action plans, I could sell via phone call you'll likely do all of them very poorly or none of them at all because you'll be paralyzed by the choice. The same comes to your product clients. Well, I could do one-to-one coaching. Well, I could only do projects that are worth 5 million plus. I could, when you've got all of these options, again, you'll probably settle somewhere in the middle for no good reason other than it feels right and it's a safe choice, but it's not often the right choice. And the reason it gets like that is because there's no constraints put upon you. Constraints breed creativity. Constraints give you focus and you should always be introducing constraints onto yourself, even if there are none being forced upon you. We do this all the time here at Wellfed Business. Obviously, we've got a little Holly that does a lot of the project work with me so we can let John off the leash and be Mr. Salesman. And if we've got a project where everything is open-ended and we've got a million and one options, we'll purposely introduce constraints because that gives us a very narrow I won't say laser focus because I know how much it pisses John off. Gives us a narrow, very narrow focus and few toys to play with, which forces us to maximize the blocks that we have. Two world-class products that has made it fucking easy for John to sell because you can't sell shit if you've got a shit product. Well, on that topic, I mean, it's simple. You can imagine a, a kind of a very condensed dialogue. You know, here's your problem. Here's, your, here's, here's the problem as I see it. We can solve it. The next step is this. And there's only one, so it's dead simple. There's only yeah. one thing we sell and it will solve your problem. There's, there's no ifs and buts and you either have it, you don't. Well, you know, that in a nutshell is my, is my sales process, pretty mm. much. Yeah. There's, obviously, there's a lot more than that. But effectively, we sell one thing. I mean, we actually sell two. We sell core control and then elite. But those two things, they're a vertical. They're not a, they're a silo. They're not a fucking horizontal. So elite is, a, is a, like a more concentrated, focused, more time with us version of core control. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's what we sell. And if you want something different, go somewhere else. And the thing is, because of our front-end marketing and our, and our pre-sales process with Connor on the triage, we are only ever speaking to people for whom that solution will work. We're not speaking to people it's not appropriate for with a 90% probability. That's why I have my sales call, just in case somebody gets through Connor's net. Yeah. You know? And this is not difficult. I mean, it, it's... It's not complicated. It's simple. Not easy because I'm not going to go into it now. If you want to know this, you have to pay us. But the sales process, I've completely turned it around on its head. Okay. It it even goes against what I have done and taught in the past. Not what I that I taught was wrong, because it wasn't, because it obviously worked. I mean, I've been doing it for years and I've made a lot of money doing it. But this is better. Yes. And it's a complete reversal of everything everybody else believes is true you're um you probably to bring this into perspective 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe your previous close rate with the old system was 35%. Something like that, yeah. It was around 35%, which at the time we were happy with. We, 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 there was no burning desire to be like, right, we've got to get it up to 50, was there at the time? No, no. It was like, oh, we'll, we'll tighten up the qualification maybe a little bit on the front end. We're learning from the sales calls. The wrong sort of people perhaps are getting through. That's why it's lower. But not once did we look at the sales process. Not once. We looked more at the qualification, the quality of leads. The marketing as well. The marketing. But we embraced the constraints and then we set a focus. We said, right, we're entering a season of sales. We are going to become the dog's bollocks at sales. We've always been more than good enough at sales, more than understood it as a, as, as a, a concept, a fuzzy concept. We've more than understood it enough to teach it, give advice, deliver results for ourselves and our clients. But obviously, as John said, that's never enough for him. John went away to study it because we set, we set our intentions, right? We're only selling these things. We embraced the constraints. We changed our job roles within the business, our responsibilities, our tasks. We, we turned everything upside down and then we focused. And we focused on selling. And funnily enough, what you focus on... Get more of it. <laughs> you get more of it. It tends, tends, to, tends to grow. I think, it's, is it Moore's law or is that the plate thing? No, Moore's law is the thing where about um, technology doubles over 18 months. That's more, I think that's Moore's law. What you focus on grows law. Quick mid-podcast Googling. The law of, who calls these things? Who decides these things are law anyway? Well, Moore's law came from a guy called Moore. He was the first one to observe it. I think he's dead now. Died really? on, I think he died recently, actually. Uh, oh, God, I'm on the wankiest blog you've ever seen in your life. I've anyway, seen some pretty wanky blogs. No, that's terrible. Moving on. Whatever law it is. Connor's law. When you, when you focus on sales, funnily enough, you make more fucking sales. Where your attention goes, the thing fucking grows, I think the cringy saying is. That's straight out of NLP or something. That now, is very some, NLP. Something else now. Okay. We did all this regardless of how we kind of felt about it. I didn't want to do sales calls. I absolutely did not want to do sales calls again because I've done them in the past over the last five years. I've done a lot of them and they're exhausting. And I was thinking, this is why we were going to build a product business and sell it with video sales letters, which I'm more than equipped to write as a fucking A-list copywriter, etc. Because I didn't want to do sales calls. But then when these circumstances came along, and, you know, it was choices, actions, consequences. If we'd have carried on, we would not have made enough money. We just wouldn't have done it. They're in a, they're in a slowly sinking ship. We just wouldn't have been able to sustain it. So if I wanted the consequences of loads of shit, shitload of money, more than we might ever made before, I had to take certain actions. That was a choice. So it's like, I didn't have to do sales calls, but if I didn't, the consequence would be, it'd be a fucking disaster. So my next thing was, okay, I've got to do sales calls. So how can I make sales calls bearable, better? Well, okay, I have to change the way I'm selling. So that's what I did. And it is fucking, even though I say it myself, it is inspired. It is brilliant. It is world class. It is brilliant. It is world class. And there's something interesting that you did there. Um, you found yourself in a situation where it was like, right, got to do sales calls because historically that's the thing that's produced us the most amount of cash. But you changed the narrative around it. You asked yourself a good question. How can I make this more bearable? 
And asking yourself the right questions in difficult situations is the way out of any difficult situation. Simply by inverting the questions that you're asking yourself, you'll come up with better answers. And John asked himself that question and he was like, well, I need to speak less because speaking is tiring. And (laughs) I need to have less, you know, scripted questions written down because they feel awkward. And that's not really how John wrote. uh, John goes. I need to get answers quicker. I need to get the end of the call as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I mean, I never cared whether it was yes or no. I, I know I, I lost any emotional connection to say it was a long, long time ago. So I never cared about the outcome. But I knit, but just purely out of energetic terms and temporal terms, I wanted to get the no. I, I want to get a no in the first two minutes on a call if possible. Yeah. I've not no. lost anything. Here's the thing. You know, people say, oh, you can't do that because you, you, you might lose a sale. I never had a sale. You can't lose what you haven't got. Okay. Yeah. Now, the call yesterday was about an hour and 20 minutes, as I recall. Um, The one before that was nearer two hours. They average between an hour and a half and two hours. If I can get, if if it's going to be a no, I want to get to no in five minutes. If I go to an hour and a half and it's still a no, okay, that's that's acceptable. I don't feel anything about it, but it's still still been a waste of my time. So as as quickly as I humanly can, that that was my defining thing. I want to get that no as early as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. The whole system is based on that. Most people listening to this won't have the courage to do what's required to get a no as early as possible because they are living in the vain hope that somehow between the start of the call when the prospect has got no intention of buying and the end, some magic will happen and they'll change their minds. You know, no, it never works like that. You can't convince or persuade anyone to do anything. And if you do, that's when you start getting people maybe reneging on their agreement. Buyer's remorse. I will. I, I promise you, I will never get buyer's remorse from my sales process ever. It's it's just not possible. Uh huh. And we've purposely defied industry norms in that sense as well. So before the conventional wisdom is, you don't get off the phone without you if you're getting them to fill in say payment details online you stay on the phone with them whilst they do that to make sure that they do you essentially keep them hostage that's the conventional wisdom that's taught in the world of sales the conventional wisdom is also you take the number yourself which is i'm pretty sure is a breach of fucking probably some gdpr or something but you take the details uh the card details yourself to store locally so if the first charge fails you can try and charge the card again yourself the other conventional wisdom is is if they don't close on your first close, you've got nine different other closes to follow up with. All of these things introduce friction in a bad, bad way. Pressure. Pressure. And the more pressure you put on a, a prospect, the higher chance there's going to be a nice big refund. And then Stripe or GoCardless or your bank itself might close you down. And then you've got no way of taking payments. And you've fucked it all up just because you've entered into a high-pressure sales tactics game. Bollocks. And that's not natural to John, is it? It's not natural no. to you. Ye- yesterday, uh, this is, I, mean, I was talking about this to Connor before we came on air, before we started recording. Obviously, I'm not going to divulge details of who it was. But right at the last minute, just before my final question, okay, the, he asked me, I said, any questions? And he asked me a question. And right at that point, even at the last minute, I pushed him away and says, well, actually, possibly not. This might not be the right thing for you. You know? Giving away too much of a secret there, John. 
Should we let? Should we let Holly? Holly should should Holly leave this in? Yeah, let, let her. Yeah, leave let her leave it in. Cause let her leave. They'll, it. they'll never. They'll never figure out what I said or, or well, why. At the very least, we'll we'll leave it for bronze. Yeah, maybe we'll cut it out for the masses. So if you're in the masses and you're hearing this, there's little nuggets like that littered all throughout the podcast that sometimes we cut out and leave it just for bronze. If you want to be part of that. Um, well, then five you're going to have to quid. buy the book. It's five quid, wellfedfreelancer.com. With that being said, that book is being retired soon because hopefully Johnny will be finishing our newest. End of April. Goodest, bestest, brightest, loveliest book. And that will be paper. Only. Paper mache. But it's See, a, this, this marketing and sales thing is not hard. The guy I spoke to yesterday probably three years, I think it was pre-COVID, he asked me on LinkedIn if I could help him sell some products. And I went backwards and forwards, and I said, look, I could, but yeah, I'd have to charge you a shitload of money, and there's a better solution. I sent him away somewhere else to someone else's product, a guy called Shane Malak, the guy behind Thrive Themes. He's got a, I can't even remember what it's called now, but it's basically a how to set up a website to sell products. A much better solution for him for $200 and not the several thousands I would charge him. So I told him no. Well, about two years later, he came back and joined us on a boot camp for 500 quid. Then he came to a live event for about the same amount of money. And yesterday, he joined us for Elite for a lot of money. And I told him no. I refused to sell him some things. It wasn't the right thing. And you know, integrity pays. Like I said, no, out, no attachment to the outcome. I won't sell the wrong thing. And that, that is not, I mean, a lot of people say that, but they don't mean it. I prove it. I just live it, you know. And it ain't because I'm a nice guy. It's because I don't want to be dealing with the grumpy customer at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Fuck that. Um, no. That that little two-lettered word, no. The most powerful word in the English language, no. If you've got the the cojones and the understanding of sales to be able to say no in the face of a prospect who is that close to handing over cash, well, then you, you understand the game. And you hold all power. If you can say no to someone that's like, right, take my money. And you've got the bollocks to say, not sure about that, mate. If you can't Convince see the power me why of I that, should. <laughs> if you can't see the power of that, then my God, you're blind. Go follow 10X Numpty or whatever his name is. Yeah. And the thing is, when, when you let go of your emotional need to close any one particular sale. Because don't get us wrong, we know we need to make sales. Every business does. You know, if we didn't make sales for a long enough period of time, we would be homeless and hungry and we would die, you know? Or we'd end up in a fucking homeless shelter or That'd be nice. whatever, you know, on the streets. Now, so we do need clients, but the thing is, it's like bus. You don't need any one particular bus to get to your destination. If you miss one bus, there's always another one. You'll get there. You'll get, I'm not talking about missing appointments, but if you just need to get to Glasgow at some point, it doesn't matter which bus you get or which train you get or which car you drive or even walk. You'll get there if you want to. So we need clients, but you've got to understand you don't need any one client. And if you do, if you find that your business is... is if you lost your biggest client, you'd be in trouble. Not just inconvenienced or pissed off. Trouble. You'd be in financial trouble you have got a real problem in your business and you do need to fix it. The worst case of this I can remember is a factory, I believe it was in Belfast, and they used to make stuff for Marks and Spencers under the old St. Michael brand, if you remember that. And one day, St. Michael 
Marks and Spencers just didn't renew the contract that they had, they'd had for decades. The next day, the company wound up and shut its doors because they had no other clients. That's an extreme version of it. I'm sure if you Google this, you'll find it online. Now, whether it was the next day or not, I don't know. But with, with, you know, basically, the, the, the business had no other clients other than Mark's dispensers and St. Michael brand. Well, if you're, that's an extreme case, but I know a lot of people, I speak to them, they've got one big client. And if they lose that client, they're fucked. The, the reverse of that is if they're in that situation, the client does have a lot of power because if they say, well, we're going to pay you 10% less, what are you going to do? If you don't know how to get better clients who pay you more, and you don't have the luxury of saying, well, okay, fuck you, you're not doing, I'm not doing it. Then. You know, go away. But when, when you're in a situation like I am, like we are, where we know we've got this machine and we just turn the handle and we, we put in the raw materials of leads and out the other end comes money. Well, I'll tell anybody no. I'll fire any client. I'll give a refund to people if I want because I don't care because I can just make more money because I know how to sell. Can I say something? And I can teach you. you. Yes, of course you may. This will be probably the wankiest thing I ever say on this podcast. <laughs> I may even get Holly to cut it out. Uh, I'm more worried about being a wanker than giving away the secrets. <laughs> but our good friend Vicky Labouchardier taught me this when I was in turmoil. When I was 19 years old, and I'm sure every seasoned business owner has heard this, and it's cringe, but it's true. It's the whole scarcity and abundance mindset. If you think that that's <laughs> yeah, it's wanky. It's so wanky, but it's true. If you believe that that prospect in front of you is one of finite prospects that you can get in front of, well, you're going to act out of fear. You're going to act desperate. You're going to do things that you wouldn't usually do if you had the belief that this is just one of infinite prospects and there's another one coming around the corner soon. And we don't teach shit like that inside of our programs because I would never want to release something formally that disgustingly wanky and common but it applies to this situation <laughs> yeah it's an accurate observation you think about it there's eight point something billion people on the planet there are three and a half million I believe small businesses in the UK alone. so let's just say three and a half million okay if you sell b2b say in our business there's probably I don't know there's probably 100,000 businesses out there in the UK who are a good target for us. Say it's 1%, so it's, what, 30,000? Well, we can't. We couldn't have 30,000 people, clients. I wouldn't want that business. We couldn't close, you know. To all intents and what I'm getting at is this. To all intents and purposes, your market, the size of your market, is functionally infinite because there's more people out there who could buy what you want than you could ever sell to. And even if it's only one more than you could ever sell to, well, it's one or a million more, it doesn't matter. You know, once you've hit that limit, you've hit that limit. Now, okay, please don't take this to extremes and say, yeah, but if I'm selling a digital product, I could sell an infinite number of them. Well, you can, but if you want to be stupid about it, if you had the kind of traffic volumes that say, um, Facebook have, you'd have to put a massive infrastructure in place and that's going to cost you millions. So no, you couldn't. You know, you, your, the, 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 your target market is of a finite or your, your ability to serve people, especially in a service business, is you're of a finite size. And if as long as there's one more person in your market than you can serve to all intents and purposes, functionally, it's infinite. You know, and, and in fact, it's, it's several orders of magnitude bigger. 
we we could probably say a consulting gig. We go into a firm for five days for a shitload of money and teach them this stuff and put a system in place. Well, if we do that for five days and we worked every day of the year, we've got 52 clients we could possibly do in a year. Okay. Well, we ain't going to be working every week. So say we work every fortnight. It's only 26. So it doesn't matter whether there's 27 people or 27 million people who want to work with us. You can only do 27 companies five days every fortnight. You know, it get a sense of perspective, people. And that's why you need to embrace constraints. constraints. That's why you need to embrace constraints. Because if you do feel like you can sell to everyone and everyone, you're not going to sell to anyone uh, whatsoever. No, not by any design, only by luck. We recognized all of these things, right? Total client caps. Uh, how many people can we service at any one time? And then we asked ourselves, like, well, what does that infrastructure look like? As John touched upon there in terms of uh, staffing costs, in terms of IT costs, what does that infrastructure look like? And we designed everything in such a way that we were going to make the amount of money that we're happy to make with a business that we're happy to run. And we was going for a large numbers business before. No, now it's just bespoke, high price, small numbers business, isn't it, John? And that's all because we embrace constraints. I think, well, to clarify that, we always had the vision of a small numbers business at the top end, elite core control. Yeah. The way we're feeding it is different. We were feeding it through the low end, like a pyramid. So people were coming in with a, with a low price book to a, a, intimate, a fairly low cost inner circle with a newsletter and then feeding up. And it works. There's no two ways about it. It works. And the attraction of it for us is that it's easy. It requires no real-time intervention it's just me sitting here writing stuff but it's slow it's slow so at the bottom end it's big numbers well that means labor intensive getting the ads and things okay well now what we do is rather than I mean, that's a shotgun approach right yeah scattergun big wide net kind of thing well now we've switched it to a very tightly focused like the m8 we call it the m82 named after the barrett m82 sniper's rifle 50 caliber okay so now it's a small numbers business at the top, as it always was, but now it's more of a fucking cylinder rather than a pyramid. Yeah. And it's a very narrow thing. So we pick off the people we want to talk to. And then by the time we talk to them, well, there's a 72.7 was it percent chance that they're going to buy from us because they won't get to talk to me if it's any less than that. It's just the way it works. I can teach this to you all, but you have to pay us. Mm-hmm. So if we, if we release this value. as an emergency podcast, there's time for you yet to get your application in to yeah. join us in Elite. I think I need to make a point here. Elite, we teach everything in core control you need. But in Elite, we focus on two things. We focus on leadership and sales. And it's not obvious to you, and it won't be obvious until you're in Elite, and I share why it's obvious. <laughs> it should be obvious. It's obvious to me. Leadership and sales are two sides of the same coin. There's, there's no argument about this. You can either believe it and accept it, or you're wrong. <laughs> it's simple as that. Leadership and sales are two sides of the same coin, and we teach them both, but we really fucking double down on it in Elite. Now, it's not that we resent teaching it, or we won't teach it in core control, because we will and we do, but we don't focus on it because people aren't ready for it in core control. Yeah, it's different strokes for different folks. We do, core control has a, a curriculum to follow and then it's got various calls that uh, 
our uh, smart clients take advantage of to then bend it to to fit their business to get the implementation perfect. We're elite, you know. It's, it's inevitable that we're going to have more conversations because we're meeting up four times a year. There's a smaller group. Well, they which have is easier WhatsApp to manage. Well the exactly, Zoom they've got private access, so um, it's inevitable that they're going to have more conversations. And uh, from my experience, the more touch points people have with us, whether it's friends, clients, whatever, the smarter they become and the better their lives are. We are a pair of Midas touch numpties. John isn't pissing. I believe he's pouring himself some water for those that can hear that. There's the evidence. Well, there's a lot in this podcast and uh, you'd be forgiven for thinking this is just us blowing our own horn, which it is to some extent, I won't deny it. Hey, mm-hmm. we want to market ourselves and sell ourselves. But there are some lessons here too. You know, you could do this if you wanted to. It might take you longer than it's taken us, and you might have to learn from us to do it the same way. Because to be fair, it's unlikely you're going to have the same skills to create a system like ours without our help or someone else's help. Because this is our job, this is our profession. But the point is, you could do it whether you do it in a short period of time with our help or a longer period of time with someone else's help, or a very long period of time doing it yourself. Anyone could do this. You know, This is not genetic. This is not like um, that fucking cyclist, Lance Armstrong, who had a VO2 max of 70-something. Most of that's genetic. You know? Don't get me wrong, he worked hard and took steroids. I was going to say, took some drugs. No he? amount of medication and hard work will make up for the fact he had fucking great genetics. Okay, This, is, this isn't a case of that. This is a case of anybody could do this if they wanted to. Right. But if you're focused on the negativity of, say, social media um, and, and buying into that fucking scarcity mindset, the poverty mindset uh, about how bad the economy is and how social the algorithm's fucking you over, so all I'm going to do is just keep posting and hoping. No, you won't. You won't succeed. You, you're going to fucking struggle. And you know, good luck to you. I've seen that a lot recently. Uh, for all my sins, I logged onto LinkedIn yesterday. Uh, yeah, I know, really wanky, disgusting. I was checking the messages. Anyway, well, I was, I, I wasn't, well, I did end up scrolling, which is why it's a perilous place to go. But by the by, I saw a lot, a lot of people saying, I'm doing everything I can on LinkedIn to get leads and clients, but LinkedIn is conspiring against me because they keep changing how, how content is shown to people. And I just felt sorry for them just felt sorry for them. There's no arguing against the fact that LinkedIn is an incredibly powerful tool, but they can't see beyond it. And the minute that there's an algorithm change, however they identify that is fucking, I've got no idea. Every time there's an algorithm change in their eyes, their business crumbles in front of them. And then they publicly cry about it. Jesus wept. What are you playing at? There's a better way of doing things. And yes, it does involve LinkedIn a little bit, but it's a different approach entirely. The internet has made people soft. There was a world of business before the internet and people are forgetting that. I know we hammer this home all the time and we're not saying that the internet is useless, far from. But it is not the be-all and end-all of business. And if you can't get leads off social media, that's your fault for thinking that's the only way you can get leads. That is entirely on your shoulders. And I'm a bit fed up of it, to be honest. This chronically online crowd 
that cannot see past Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, Pinterest. Business is a beast. It's a mammoth. And you're treating it like it's this fucking easy as pie little caterpillar that you can put in a jar and put on your your desk and go, oh, hello, little caterpillar. No, it's a behemoth that you need to learn to slay, learn to dance with, get in its back and slit its throat. You really need to work on your metaphors, mate. Ah, I'm fed up. (laughs) Fucking dancing with a mammoth. What the fuck is all that about? (laughs) Have you never seen it? They did a dance before they fought the mammoths in the Ice Age. No, I wasn't there, mate. I'm old, but I'm not that fucking old. Have you never read about it? No. They did dances before they fought the mammoths. I think that's that's probably conjecture. I mean, there's no video proof. All written evidence. It's just there is. It's drawn on the inside of caves. <laughs> Cave paintings, yes. That's written. It's not written, is it? That's, that's written. And then we, we interpret the pictures. And there was one picture. There was a mammoth. And there was lots of stick people doing this. No, they they had a little motion graphic where no, they like, didn't, if, didn't you, they? if you moved no, another rock over the top, they, they it looked like they, they were going Connor. like this. No, they didn't, did they, Connor? <laughs> You're making this up, aren't you, mate? Conjecture. Anyway, look, we've got to go. We've got to go. When, when we start talking about dancing with mammoths, I realise that we've reached the end of what's useful to say. Nah. Anyway, so, you know what to do. If you want to look, if you want to think about joining us in Elite and get into the application process, Email Holly, Holly, H-O-L-L-Y, at wellfedbusiness.com. Um, get your application in by the 17th, well, the end of the 17th, so midnight on the 17th, midnight Monday, and we'll perhaps talk to you. If you're later than that, you're in the pipeline until 2024. Is it going to be that long till we open the doors again? That's what yeah. You said. 2024. Unless something changes, which should mean we can. We're women, we can change if we want to, change our minds if we want to. But the plan is 2024. All righty. Cheerio.